Welcome to the first episode of TNT Podcast. I am Brianna. And I am Nate. And we are starting a podcast. Um, we have the intent uh, for three three things that we want to do. But first, I, I want to address how you probably got here. Um, first, you're probably listening because you know us. And you've been hearing about this podcast for the last <laughs> six months. Or you're, you know someone that sent you this link and they said you have to listen to these two people and you're probably thinking, why the heck do I need to listen to them? We're not just two people. <laughs> We're two great people. Two great people. And fun people. Yes. And um, so I, I've always wanted to start a podcast, or not always, but recently, um, I'd say within the last probably year, year and a half, I've just kind of had this... Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'll call it a calling, but just a desire to want to start something that would impact people. And I thought that a great way to do that would be through a podcast. I, I contemplated maybe writing a book, um, sharing some things about my life and just ways to help connect people. But then I thought, you know, um, a book can get outdated quickly and a podcast can be ongoing and it can be relevant and it can be right now. And so, um, Nate and I started, you know, kind of talking about different, different topics of, of what I could start. And then, oh, he just, cheer, was, he cheers himself. Yeah. Cheers to, <laughs> that's a wine glass. Okay. Well, I should probably preface that, um, cheers <laughs> to all of you. Um, every single podcast that we're going to be doing, we, we record with red wine because we love red wine and we want to, um, we want you to grab a glass and, and join us and have fun with us too. So, um, Nate just cheers himself first, but I, I guess we'll kick it off that right way. Right by the mic. <laughs> so, um, Nate, when we talked about some things that we wanted to, to cover together and, and what would make a great podcast, what, what did we come up with? And, and then I'll kind of talk a little bit about how we got there. <laughs> okay. The three things that we want to come across in uh, show during the podcast or approve during the podcast or, you know, maintain during this podcast is disability awareness, spreading positivity and overcoming challenges. And why on earth would we want to be talking about disabilities? Because I'm in a wheelchair, everybody. <laughs> and I am not. So um, we, we quickly want to address that um, overcoming disabilities can mean a multitude of things. We also want to talk about overcoming challenges and obstacles. And then we also want to talk about spreading positivity. One of the things that you'll find with us is that we we find humor in situations. Um, we don't take ourselves too seriously for the most part. I mean, obviously, Nate has a little bit more humor about his situation, but I've quickly learned to roll with the punches. <laughs> yes. And you don't want to... I don't take anything personal here. We're just having fun. We're joking around, but I, you just want to have humor because you want to have fun. Um, and one thing you want to have is have your ability be a lot stronger than your disability. That's one thing that you, I want to put in everybody's mind. If you do, are you in a wheelchair or if you are in a wheelchair or if you have any other disabilities, could be mental, hard, hard time or anything like that. Your ability is always stronger than your disability. Yes. Yeah, so we want to take the dis out of the disability. So um, as all good things happen over, you know, a couple cocktails or some red wine, we we started contemplating, um, okay, well, that's great. You know, we, we've got some ideas on on what we could talk about, but, you know, really, who are we together? It, and 
an able body with someone in a wheelchair. And, you know, we were trying to think like, okay, so what, what would we call ourselves? I mean, it's like, you know, and then it got pretty interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we were trying to make some quips about, you know, wheelchairs and, and a walking person like wheelchairs and walking. Um, I don't even remember what else we came up with. I mean, just some other funny things, but we did land, um, kind of off the cuff on tits and tires. So <laughs> yes. And we'll let you think about that. <laughs> so again, welcome to the TNT podcast. And going forward, um, it will be all things about Nate and I. Um, he will be the tires portion of this, and then we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I, I think the first thing that we we probably want to talk about is we know that the listeners, we know how they got here. And they probably want to know a little bit about us and how mm-hmm. we got here. So um, I will just tell kind of a, a quick story about my first um, experience with handicap awareness. And that's the the title of this podcast is ep- or episode one, handicap awareness. And one of the um, first brushes that I had with that is uh, I was out with my girlfriends one night. I think and she was naughty. <laughs> I was naughty. So um, we were we were out um, having some fun. I'm going to say we were probably 21 just for for legal reasons. And I was coming back to my apartment it was during a snowstorm and I was in stilettos and decided I was going to take the closest spot to the door. And you can just imagine and think about what the closest spot is, everybody. Yes. So the snow was falling, freezing, probably, you know, I don't know, five to six inches at that point when I got home late, early in the morning. And um, there was one spot left open. And it was the closest to the door. And that was the handicap stall. And I thought... And I'll apologize for her, for anybody at that apartment complex that was in a wheelchair that had to park anywhere else besides that spot that was taken by my now girlfriend. Right. And I did learn in handicap awareness that that's a big no-no, right? So... Yes, it is a big no-no. And what did you have to do, babe? So um, I thought, well, I'll be smart about this. I'll go upstairs, sleep come back early in the morning, move my car, all will be good. And and then there would have to be a little bit of a decoration. There was a decoration. It was in the form of a ticket. And so that ticket afforded me a four-hour handicap awareness class on a Saturday, um, which I got to sit next to everybody else in that room that made bad decisions about their parking choices. And I learned a lot about different disabilities, um, that not everything is visible, and that I also learned it's not okay ever <laughs> to park in a handicap stall. So it, I mean, who would have known flash forward 20 some years later that, um, now I would, I would get front row parking. Well, at least nobody in a wheelchair keyed your car or anything for parking there. I mean, it was just a friendly note by the police officer. True. Very true. Could have been a worse ticket. So, um, what, what I want to kind of transition to now is, I mean, that's, that's just a brief little tidbit, of story, but I think one of the most important things that we cover in this first episode is your birth story, what you were born with, what that looked like transitioning from, um, you know, being uh, born to child. Um, I mean, really, we talk about overcoming obstacles. Your first really fighting chance at life was birth. And so, um, Nate, I want to have you kind of tell your story a little bit about how what you were born with and, and what that led into. 
Okay. Let's first start. Um, so I was born with spina bifida, but my mom, uh, when she was pregnant with me, she ended up in the hospital. Uh, she was in the hospital for a month. Uh, she had preeclampsia previa. I think I got that term right. Um, placenta previa. Placenta previa. That's okay. well, I don't know all these medical terms. Like I'm, not, I'm a guy. <laughs> so placenta previa, and she started bleeding a little bit uh, early, uh, which was a medical emergency for her. Um, they didn't know that I had spina bifida when I was spina bifida when I was born, um, and they noticed that when I was born, they had to have a C-section. So let's talk about that a little bit because I mean, when when you you're 37. Mm-hmm. Right. So when your mom was pregnant, I mean, routine ultrasounds weren't really routine. No. And they didn't do anything to kind of predict that that was even happening. You've at that point had um, three, three older sisters at that point. Yeah. That were. Yeah. Three older sisters. All living, all able bodied. Yeah, all able bodied. So there it, it wasn't nothing for them to worry about. They didn't. This was unexpected. So what happened is she was supposed to have a normal delivery. She started bleeding early, like I said before, and she had to have me have a C-section. But that was a blessing in disguise. The doctor says after I was born and they noticed what I had, which is spina bifida, that if she had me as a normal delivery, it would have been more damage to me. Um, because I had what, what spina bifida does is you have a hole in the back that doesn't close properly over the spinal cord and the nerves of the bottom of the spinal cord. So what they have to do is close it almost immediately or try to close it immediately over the spinal cord nerves because what happens is the nerves get damaged. Spinal cord gets damaged. And in that case, you know, all things happen where, you know, that's what causes the whole disability. So like one in every, I would say 2,800 births, 1,400 babies across the United States have spina bifida. You can have spina bifida without even knowing it. So there's there's several different kinds, or I'd say three or four different uh, types of spina bifida. And I had the, one of the most severe ones, um, where, but I was lucky enough where the specialty of the doctors and the doctor's expertise, I got through it a lot better than it could have been. Um, I also want to say that spina bifida can occur 28 days into a pregnancy when a a mother may not know that she's even pregnant. Okay. So that's, that's a little mind blowing to me, right? I mean, I've, I've had two healthy children, knock on wood. Um, but I mean, 28 days in, you're right. Like there's a lot of women that don't know. And from what I've, what I understand and just remember being through my own pregnancies is that folic acid is a huge component of prevention of spina bifida yes is that right yes that's what they came up with but it could be environmental factors plus malnutrition because folic acid is part of that um they believe and it could uh, greatly decrease your chances of having somebody with spina bifida or baby with spina bifida so i want to say all my sisters they do take folic acid to decrease their chance of having a baby with spina bifida so far so good uh with all that um, and I also want to uh, tell you with hydrocephalus. So that will also occur with people with spina bifida. And it's crucial that they watch the size of the head when the baby comes out, if they are, if they have spina bifida or the opening in that back. Um, because when I was life flighted from where I was born to Omaha, Nebraska, 
some of the best doctors around. Um, they said by day two, they were going to monitor my head to make sure. And then by day two is when my head got bigger. And they immediately put a shunt, which is a tube that goes from your brain in your head to down to your stomach. My doctor was one of the first to wrap the shunt in my stomach so it would go within grow with me as I aged and grew. And if they didn't do that, and a lot of them didn't do that, several times as you grow, the two may not grow with you. So a lot of times it breaks. I was lucky enough to have one shunt revision when I was 17, I believe. And it was just slowly dripping or not dripping at all, the fluid. So they didn't really think that I knew it. I didn't need to do that anymore or need to have it anymore. Uh, but like I said, that was always critically important to have the shunt because the, what they call is a waterhead and call it greatly imbalanced or some brain injuries or neurological issues when that happens if you don't get the shunt in. So, I mean, your your case was one of the most severe. I mean, as far as the spectrum of, of severity of spina bifida. I mean, there, like you mentioned, there's people that are walking around. They don't even know they have it. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't even be detected unless they had, you know, for some reason, a, um, a scan or an x-ray of their back that might show like kind of a small opening or something, right? Yes. And... Um, you know, so not only were you born with the spectrum of severe, but I mean, the doctor immediately told your parents, like, he's not going to walk, right? Yes, and and it, you also had to fight at, or well, your parents gave you a fighting chance at birth because of the underdevelopment of your yes. lungs. And so I was, I was born five to six weeks early. Um, when I was life flighted to Omaha with a condition, my mom didn't know what was going on at that time. Uh, because like I said, they didn't do ultrasound. So when she woke up, the doctor came in and says, did you tell her yet to my dad? Uh, my dad was obviously very upset. The doctor comes back in after that, after he locked out and says, your baby will never walk. Um, she had then had to make decisions over the phone while she was in recovery, because that's how crucial all the decisions were. And my, my lungs were underdeveloped. They were to the one of the higher ranges of the ventilator. And they said, well, we have to raise the ventilator. He's still not breathing well. So it could burst his lungs. My mom says, give him a fighting chance up the, up the ventilator. And for, from then on, here I am now. But I couldn't have done that without the doctors I had. Um, because, you know, 1985. And your parents uh, making some good, quick great decisions. decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born with my legs over my head. Uh, that's one of the things. So they, I had to have physical therapy to get those down, 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 because they couldn't just put them down. It was a whole hip issue. Um, so the C-section, like when I was born overhead, who knows what the doctors would, doctors found out when they saw me with my legs over my head. <laughs> I was on I was on oxygen when I got home. Um, I was probably about six weeks in the hospital. Um, like I said, but the the whole the severity of the spinal bifida kind of goes where the hole in the back exposes the nerve of the spinal cord, how high up that is. It's kind of like if somebody breaks their vertebrae and how high that injury is and you get in a car accident or anything like that, it break the vertebrae. The higher that break is, this in this instance, the higher the hole is on top of the back where it exposes the spinal cord is the severity of the case. So yeah. I think mine was like an L5, L6 where my opening was where they had to close it. 
Well, and I found that interesting too, um, just in kind of knowing a little bit about this and you, you know, doing some research and living with it is that it was called the snowflake disease or is called the snowflake disease because there's no two cases alike, which mm. I, I find which is, which is quite interesting. interesting yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the things that, um, people already listening is that they might relate to a traumatic birth story, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we might have some people on here that, um, maybe they delivered a one or two pound baby. Maybe they have a child with, um, some impairments or learning disabilities or down syndrome or, or other types of, you know, things that we see, or they've just had a traumatic birth situation where they've had to make, you know, quick decisions and they've had babies in the NICU. Um, you know, there, I hope that what they're finding just by listening to us is that there's hope. There's always a fighting chance. There's always a light. Just give, just give that baby a fighting chance. It's not the end of the world. Let them fight, let them get through it because it's, my, my my parents, I'm independent. They don't have to do anything for me. All, all their work is done. All their work is done. All they do is support me with what I do now. It's not hard work. You get them through the tough stages and let them live. So you obviously didn't go from birth to wheelchair. <laughs> no. There were some steps. I, I didn't like just hop in a wheelchair right away. Right. And I was about to say there were some steps you had to take, but that's that's a uh, little, steps. that's not right. Uh, no. <laughs> There were some processes. Well, technically, I did take steps at a younger age. Okay, so... And we'll get into that. Talk about that. So you, you know, obviously went from baby to, I don't know, I mean, did you ever crawl? Or was it just, did you immediately go into kind of the the brace when you... So I did did end up crawling. And a lot of times my, uh, my siblings, which I had five others... I crawled, played sports, threw a football to my brother, um, crawled. I was pretty quick crawling for the first part. Then I ended up getting messing up my foot one of these time, one of the times because I wasn't very careful. I didn't look down at my feet because I can't feel my feet. I'll you didn't need that, I, that anyway. I, I didn't right? need it anyway, but <laughs> an infection can grow to other parts, and you know you have to still be careful. But crawling, I was a pretty quick crawler, but. And now at 37, I don't really crawl on the ground no more. <laughs> so um, they had to put you in kind of a brace, right? Where you had to use almost like a crutch for your arms to build that upper body strength. Yes. And so the brace I had, I didn't go right into the brace. I had a little table that I sat at when I was younger before I could eat. My legs could walk kind of like, you know, you're a little baby. You can crawl for a little bit, but I didn't really get into too much of that stage. I went into straight to the walking brace, which if anybody has saw Forrest Gump movie, <laughs> that's what when I he was walking, of. running, tried to run, uh, it, it was that kind of brace, but it was a little bit higher on me to support more of my upper body also, probably about chest high, a little bit lower than chest high, so I could move with crutches to support my legs and my whole body because my hips... I don't have much of her hips. I can't balance with my hips, so I had to support all the way up there. Uh, so that's what I'm talking about a full, a full body brace with crutches to swing through. It's not like a walking motion. It's like a, both legs swinging through. So most of us have seen Forrest Gump, right? And so I think we can all relate to that episode or that scene where you know he's he's got his braces on and he starts running and the braces break off and then he's running. <laughs> well, you didn't you didn't get that. You, I didn't quite. You kind of went more from the braces to like a Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. but not motorized. <laughs> right. <You know. laughs> yeah. So, 
Um, so those braces that, I mean, that was what probably when you were adolescent and then younger yeah, grade, age. grade school through a little bit of high school, most of high school, I was in that full body brace. Who so, taught you to walk in those? So I had a great physical therapist. So when I was a younger age and this is my parents along with this individual, um, with my, who my physical therapist was, just taught me how to be more independent than I could ever imagine. Um, she would tell me never give up, never have the word can't in my vocabulary. She would tell me how to get upstairs. She told me there's these two or three stairs that I was like, how do I get up there? She goes, figure it out. Get up there. Get on my hands and knees, get up there, climb up there, use my crutches if I had to, use the railing if I had to. And kind of go from there. She, uh, she just never, she gave me that positive mentality, the never give up mentality, never say you can't do anything mentality. Greatly respect her, greatly respect my parents who got me to the independence where I'm at now to be able to do everything or almost anything on my own. I love that. So what what that tells me is that you've had people from birth, literally fighting for you, cheering for you, rallying for you and supporting you. Mm-hmm. And not everybody has that. But I, I do believe that people can find that. And I, I do believe that people can find um, a mentor in life. Mm-hmm. And that if, you know, you seek, you shall find. So, you know, maybe somebody listening to this has a physical impairment. Maybe they have a mental challenge they need to overcome, an emotional challenge. I, there's help for everybody. I do believe that. And, and sometimes it has, happens at an early age and sometimes at a later age. Yeah, so I'm stealing some of your wine because... You're out? Well, not out, but I mean, we poured little tiny glasses here. But my point was to like have you talk a lot so that I could have more wine. Oh. Okay. We're so yeah, succeeding. she just stole some of my wine, but <laughs> I, I was just saying your support can have, can be, or your respect, your support can be at a younger age or you can gain it at an older age. You can find that mentor at a younger age or an older age. Um, and so never give up on trying to find that person, trying to find that your support group and keep, and once you find it, keep that circle tight. Do you feel like you, as you aged and you went from brace to wheelchair, do you feel like you kind of found your support group more at that time through your peers and your like coaches and sports? I mean, was that kind of what led into you finding a core group of people that you could relate to and support you and you could support them. Yeah. So it did happen in sports, but it also happened in high school too. I had people respected me. I respected them. We had a lot of jokes, making fun, everything, but growing up with three older sisters, I had also be tough. (laughs) Yeah. They tried to do a lot of things to me. We'll get that into that another episode, but (laughs) They were, they were tough on me, to tell you that. Well, from what I hear, you were kind of a little uh, punk. I, I was we'll a be punk. nice. I was a punk, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. That happens. So, um, But I did attend you know, public school as they attended a private Catholic school because of accessibility reasons. Um, that was kind of tough, you know. but I learned to gravitate toward both schools. I knew people from both schools, and so that was kind of nice. Um, had classes sometimes with others. But sometimes, sometimes classes did join the private school, the public school. Um, and so then, did you go out? I mean, did you hang out? Like- and this was the tough part. <laughs> okay. 
So in a small town, everybody knows. And I'm sure people knowing me knows I could not really go out. And that's what bummed me out. You know, so I had to be a good kid all the way through high school for the most part. For the most part. Cops would break up parties. You know, everybody was probably drinking. So if I had a little bit of drink, I couldn't run. (laughs) So what am I going to do? Hide in the shower, hide in the bathtub, curtain closed, and put my wheelchair in there and hide? No, I just really couldn't go out. (laughs) And it was probably pretty tough to uh, uh, wheel your way through the fields where everybody else is running. Yeah, everybody runs. Because you grew up in a small town. Like, okay, let me me load my truck in my, let me load my uh, uh, wheelchair in my car real quick. I'll get out of here. Just give me a second. Uh, That window works. Yeah, well... They couldn't so have made had, you walk a straight line, though. So, I mean, you had, you did have one thing Well, then I would have to say the ABZ backwards. Oh, that's true. And, and then I'm like... Who, who can do that? Uh, who can do that sober? Right. <laughs> so, um, school wasn't really... That wasn't much of a challenge for you. I mean, you no, you were accepted. Yeah I, was, yeah, I was greatly accepted. I have to give uh, very props to my, my town. Nobody really judged who I was. Everybody accepted who I was. Everybody accepted me having spinal fit in a wheelchair. Never got made fun of. I was just with good people in my small town. Um, and you mentioned not going out. Well, my senior year in high school, I did end up getting prom king. And I actually told my parents not to even go because <laughs> I didn't know I was going to get prom king. And all of a sudden I got prom king. Like, oh. <laughs> My parents were a little bit upset about that. They didn't get a no, no pictures or anything like that. So that's the one time I did go out. And? And I got a little drunk. <laughs> I drank quite a bit. Oh, no. Yeah, I wasn't too far from home, but it's still not. Don't do that. Don't listen to me. Don't take characteristics from that to what you do in high school. But I got home after that. For the one time I told my parents, I'm home. <laughs> and I kind of just, uh, you know, vomited in the bathroom, went to sleep. But I'm sure none I, of I, us have been there before. None of us, no, right? No, But they didn't know until a later time that I did that. I was very professional at it. Professional? Profe- okay. Professional wow. at it. Wow. And so that's the only time I went out. And I guess... Uh, I'll say, uh, I guess God put me in this wheelchair, so I wouldn't always do that. He goes, you, you have one time to do that. You have one time to go out. But other times, I'll just lock you down right now. You're not going out because you would have been wild. <laughs> so you waited until your 20s and 30s to continue yeah, on that path, yeah, right? Yeah, because then I could drink. I was old enough, and I wouldn't get busted for Right. So, But I, I do want to talk about the sports you played because I, I think that that – is a big component of, you know, what we've talked about with kind of overcoming challenges, mm-hmm. um, disability awareness and, and what that looks like and how people that are maybe in a wheelchair or have prosthetics, how they can still continue to live a somewhat normal life if they're interested in sports. And you've, you've proved that, that that's possible and you've proved how to transition into something like that. So, I mean, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, after graduating high school, going to college and how your sports career started. Yeah, let's turn back a little bit around. So okay. the wheelchair sport, the wheelchair sports started my sophomore year in high school. 
I know I said we're starting a senior year, but my sophomore year in high school, I was in Omaha visiting my cousin, and that's where my wheelchair sports career started. I was just uh, playing basketball or about to play basketball going next door to his neighbor's house with a basketball. And a rep from Omaha, where I started playing wheelchair basketball, said, ask if I wanted to play. I, I didn't know what wheelchair basketball was. I didn't know it was, anything was available. I'd never heard of it. And it's funny to be like, I never heard of it. I just didn't understand that. Like, how did I not hear about it? Right. But then I started. Uh, my parents took me two hours uh, on Saturdays for practice every Saturday. Um, they supported me throughout that. And I ended up starting my first game. And let me tell you. I don't know why my coach started me my first game because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> I for mean, the, for the first two minutes, first three minutes, fair. like, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? I had the speed. <laughs> that's fine. I could, I could beat anybody down the court, up the court, and down the court. But you had the tires, right? Yeah, I had the tires. Like I said, the tires. Yeah, you had the tires. Squealing tires, anything, you know, stopping, going. But I didn't know what, where to what position to be at or anything. But after two or three minutes, it just clicked. And what I tell you, if I didn't just a bit of a coincidence, just going to my cousin's neighbor's house, I don't know where I would have been. That's, that's where my wheelchair sports happen. And so that went through a couple years in wheelchair basketball. And then after that, I went to college uh, that went to play college sports. So wheelchair basketball, I played sled hockey. I played, I played wheelchair handball. <laughs> Where did you yeah, go to babe, college? Wheelchair handball. <laughs> well, Wheel- you- I, it is called wheelchair soccer, but you do not play with your feet. Cause if you played with your feet, I don't know, like not many goals would score. Oh yeah. I, I guess that would make sense. Right. <laughs> um, where did you go to college? Southwest Minnesota State University. I played wheelchair basketball there for five years, and I played for wheelchair softball at a team out of uh, Minneapolis area, also wheelchair or sled hockey out of Minneapolis, too, for a couple years. So when you left small town to go to college, did you did you know anyone? No, I went on my own. And funny to say, all the rest of my siblings all stay in Nebraska, but, oh, the guy in the wheelchair – Goes out of state to uh, Marshall, Minnesota at Southwest Minnesota State and had five years then. After I played, I graduated with business management degree, marketing degree, uh, which that helped me quite a bit uh, when I got my career. I didn't go into that field, but it definitely helps you. Um, Then I went from there. Sports also continued in Las Vegas area where I played uh, D1 wheelchair basketball there. and then played a couple years, three years, four years there, and actually won a national championship there in wheelchair basketball. But I did compete in high school with under-23 USA team, and the story I got to tell you here is I went through some double doors after I went down the elevator two floors. Through the double doors, the double doors locked behind me. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) How do I get to the elevator again? Well... Thinking my physical therapist. How do I get up these stairs? Buckled in. Luckily, there was a railing where she taught me. Pulled myself up two flights of stairs with my wheelchair with me. Attached. You, you were sitting Attached. There. Okay. In wheelchair basketball, they tell you your body in the wheelchair is one. Yeah. <laughs> so you dragged myself up, and that's one obstacle that I just had to figure out. And gladly, my physical therapist said, figure it out. And that's what I did. 
so, I mean, what, what I find impressive is there's a lot of people that are afraid to move away, to go to college, to, um, to go explore the world in general by themselves. And I'm thinking that's really impressive that you knew no one, that you, you know, still have some things that you have to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to get around? How are you going to get to class every day? What if there's a snowstorm? Yep. I mean, for Pete's sakes, you're in Minnesota and you're yes. in a wheelchair. So I mean, l- luckily to get from the dorm, there was a blizzard one time where I had a hard time get through there and about foot of snow. And, but I want to say a shout out to my wheelchair basketball teammates. I met some great people. Um, I, I was shy because I didn't go out in high school. I, I got out of that shyness by a couple of new people that I've, that I went out with. I moved to Las Vegas, one of my gr- best friends. Uh, we just had a great time. So props to a lot of people that I did meet um, to get me out of my shell and explore the explore the country, explore different cities that helped me throughout my life. Well, you know, you and I, what, people that know us now, we are not shy people. <laughs> no, we are not shy. We no. love to have fun. We do. But I, I was like you in a sense that I was shy. And it took me getting out of my comfort zone and doing things that were not comfortable. I mean, I started waitressing when I was 14. And I was scared to death to go up to a table and ask them what they wanted to drink. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get out of that shell when you're young. It is. So I think, you know, that that really kind of um, might help somebody that's listening to this that's, you know, maybe younger or maybe just has never really broken out of their shell because the, peop- the people that know us today, we are not shy people. Um, we can have conversations with anyone. We've learned to be more worldly. We've learned to ask questions. We've learned to get to know people. And she definitely knows how to ask questions, everybody. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I, I just kind of, I look at my situation. I look at your situation. We were both put in situations to, to grow as people mm-hmm. at a younger age and um, for different reasons. And I just, I commend the fact that you picked up and moved to a city that you knew no one, um, having challenges that you have, and again, finding a way to overcome. Yes. And after I did go back to uh, Las Vegas, I did go back to my small town to work with my dad at a dealership. And I, when we got back to my small town, I was a, I was a salesman there. Um, I'm like, it's a small town. We know everybody. I don't need to go with into vehicles and drive with them, even though you should. But you just trust them. They won't wreck the vehicle. Uh, but I was almost a technology specialist because my dad was older. My uncle was older. So they didn't know a lot of the technology that was happening with the trucks and the new vehicles. So I taught them how to do that, search for vehicles that weren't on our lot. But it just got kind of slow for me. And so then I tested the Omaha area. So I applied at a dealership, I'll say Mercedes of Omaha. Um, at first, I had an interview there that took three hours. Tell you what, it wasn't always an interview. <laughs> it, he threw away the questions after a while. I just wanted to chat. My brother actually went to uh, Mercedes Omaha <laughs> to see where I was at. See if I was okay, but he'd actually go in. I, maybe I could have been something wrong with me inside, but he didn't go in. He just saw that I was still there. Uh, so nobody really abducted me. Um, but great conversation with him. 
Um, so I got a phone call later by him. It says they couldn't really create. They were trying to create a, a position for me. They couldn't really do that. But it just ended up with a great interview, great talk with him. So he reached out to the rest of the managers in the group. Later that, uh, later after that, like I said, and shout out to that manager at Mercedes of Omaha. Uh, that's where he that all started. If I wouldn't have that opportunity without him, and then without the manager, general manager at Lexus of Omaha, where I landed, he g- gave me the chance to be in the finance department. Um, and at the fi- uh, after doing that, getting that experience, and now I work at a credit union. And I said, shout out to Lexus of Omaha to give me that opportunity, give me that chance. Um, to begin my career. So was, what was your first job? I mean, ever, like what was your first job? So I, my first job was actually a telemarketer and who likes telemarketers these days <laughs> in my small town, you know, trying to get people to say yes when you know they shouldn't say no. I mean, if I'm listening to your voice, I'll say yes. <laughs> well, thank you, babe. Like, maybe I have a nice voice. Do I have a nice you voice? You have a nice voice. Thank you. Have you. A nice thank voice. you. Yes. So that was your first job. Yes. Then what? Then I went in college, messed around, didn't do anything, played wheelchair sports. That was your job. That was I mean, my job, yeah. yeah. I was busy with that. Um, and then I bet on sports for a living out in Las Vegas and had my fun. Uh, then that's when I went back to my hometown to be in the auto world or dealership world. And then I went to the finance office at Lexus. Which... We, we should probably point out is where we met and we will be discussing in future episodes of how we met, how we started as friends mm-hmm. and life took a lot of crazy angles and directions to lead us here mm-hmm. to be in a relationship and doing um, a podcast together and doing a podcast. So we, we will cover that. Um, but I, I think that's important to note that that's where we met. So you were transitioning from Vegas, small town, and then getting back into Omaha. And yes, yeah, so Lexus gave you an opportunity. Mm-hmm. They also gave me one. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, and and she wh- was great at her job, tell you that. She was great. At, there's about a few times where I had to <laughs> tidfits going after each other, but that's okay. We became, that's, we became best friends. Yeah. And so. That's coworkers, right? I mean, if, if you don't get along, then you hate each other, right? So, I mean, I don't see. No, I'm joking. Um, but I, it was it was interesting because I want to just kind of laugh and say they gave me an opportunity too. Um, I remember I was I was looking for a job. I had been a work from home mom for over a decade, and my kids were getting older. I wanted something you know just outside of the home that I could start to maybe make an income and look at more of a career setting. And there was a listing on Indeed that I applied for from my phone. I was sitting at my daughter's voice and piano lessons, and I liked what it said. It was Great um, description. Great job description, Lexus. Yeah, great job description. We will train you. You don't have to have car sales experience. And I thought, great, because the only thing I know about a car is that I drive one. And so um, I applied for the job, got an interview. It was my birthday. I went in, um, got hired. And started the following, I think it was like on a Thursday, and I started the following Monday. And um, I learned a lot there too, and some of the greatest people, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we had great coworkers. Great, shout out to Lexus of gr- Omaha. Great, great managers. I mean, yes, I still keep in touch with a lot of them. And like I said, they gave me the chance and still keep in touch with the great people. We made some lifelong friends, yes, for we sure. Did. 
and um, we're given opportunities for personal and professional growth. So I love that. And I love the fact that we met there. So um, we'll, like I said, we'll cover that in a future episode. But I do want to get back to kind of your progression mm-hmm. and and where we where we're going to take these next few episodes because we want to wrap up every podcast at around like 40, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. um, just not to inundate you with too much at, at one time. <laughs> and so, um, Nate, is there is there anything else you wanted to share about your just life, work experience, anything from that point? So I just want to say you just always n- never just sit back and – you know, collect social security. I know some people have to, but get out there. Everybody has a job out there for you. Everybody wants you to work. Everybody wants to, to see you out. Um, nobody else, nobody wants to see you sit at home, just enjoy life. And so being at work, you meet great people going to work, going, applying at jobs. That's what you do to meet great people, more opportunities, get out there and get those opportunities, explore those opportunities. I would agree. I mean, I I really do think that there's so much um, purpose in work. And, you know, it's, I mean, it it, it becomes a part of who you are. It does. And and that's a great thing. If you love what you do, if you don't like what you do, find something that you love to do. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, it's something that you get up and do every day. And there's people that you're going to meet because of the experiences you have. And work becomes a huge, great purpose in our lives. And so if you're thinking that, you know, there may not be something for you, um, you know, I I know people that had um, epilepsy that ended up becoming dog trainers. They may not have been able to work, you know, a, a nine to five job, maybe couldn't show up every day for something, but they could work with dogs mm-hmm. better than people. And so there, there's something for everyone. And the fact that you just never discredited the fact that you're capable of so much more. And sometimes you got to, the hardest thing to do is get out of your comfort zone. And once you get out of your comfort zone, it, you're going to feel so much better by you're glad you took an opportunity to get out there. Agreed. So I think, um, we're, we're probably close to wrapping up here, right? Yeah, I mean, for episode one. So I do want to kind of lay the, the forecast of what's to come. Um, episode two is going to be called, What Did You Say? WTF Did You Say? And that will be an interesting one. You could, you know, <laughs> we'll have fun with that one. So what that's going to entail is um, some of the things that Nate has heard being in a wheelchair. Um, you know, like, I mean, we're not going to give it all away, but I, I know one of the things that people, you know, say is like, do you have a license for that thing? I mean, it's just some of the silly things that people say. But what what we're going to... Or gonna else co- there's, a, there's a speed limit here. <laughs> or there's some R-rated things that we're yeah, going to yeah, cover yeah, today. Yeah, we will. Yes. So we'll, we'll kind of cover some of those things that are said. But then we also are going to talk about how to break the ice if you are somebody with a disability because... People need to laugh. They need to feel comfortable around you. I mean, and and the more that you can bring humor to a situation, I mean, everything's so serious these days. Like, we need to find some things to laugh about. And not in a bullying or condescending way, but like, find humor in our situations, right? Yes. So... And it's nice to make, if you're in an interview, make somebody laugh. Right. You you don't want to be sitting there saying that you're in a suit, suit, you're wearing a suit, they're wearing a suit, and be totally professional. Get the little laugh. Get it break at the eyes, be more open-minded 
And so there's a little fun in the work action. Right. I mean, what could be funnier than tits and tires, right? Nothing. <laughs> Is there anything? No. <laughs> so um, episode three, we're going to talk um, about our our dating apps and our, you know, kind of going through some, some... Oh, and those are always fun, right? That's fun. Um, and then episode four, we're going to talk about um, our story from being... Um, I don't know, Tinder screwed to couple. <laughs> yeah, Tinder screwed to couple, going on and on and on. Then we'll have, and then from that on, we're going to have a lot more guests. That's uh, all these experiences, our close friends, other people in the handicap awareness world. And so it'll be fun. Um, yes. We I have hope a- you enjoy the ride. Hope you join the ride and just have fun. Enjoy, enjoy listening. Um, there's always be something to look forward to in the future podcasts. Right. So if you've stuck with us this far, um, we're going to raise a glass and cheers to you. Cheers to everybody. And appreciate you guys listening. Yes. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.